you know, you won over 70% of your games everywhere you coached at the high school level, at the Division II level, at the Division I level. Uh, you know, when you, when you look back on your career, what are you proudest of? I think one of the things I'm proudest of is uh, perhaps having established a, 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 a basic concept of how we're going to live uh, without any kind of opposition in my mind about what I really believed in and uh, the teaching aspect of it. I received the, the best teacher in the state of Pennsylvania um, in 1979, I think, right after we won the national championship. Mm -hmm. At Cheney State? At Cheney State. Yes. All of my players had graduated, uh, and Governor Thornburg presented me with an award at that time. I think it was about 10000 uh for being the best teacher in the state. And then in 82, I went to Temple. I think it was 82, and stayed there for 24 years where a lot of coaches were in and out of there. Having uh, respect for the, for the person that chose me to come there, and I received the best teacher award also there. So uh, I think that was worth an, another seven or eight. <laughs> but now I know how you're dressing so good. <laughs> no, I dress with good clothes, but I look like a dog in them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not worried about that. It's just that I want to feel good. <laughs> But it's amazing you asked that question, but uh, I think that having, having been a part of, of the coaching aspect of, of life and, and been around with great people, you, Nolan, and, uh, Big, John. and Big John, and uh, Vivian Stringer, who's also a Hall of Famer, uh, Nolan should be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, no question about uh, in, in my opinion. And uh, I think that kind of cadre of people, having been around them, you can't help but grow and you can't help, help but have hope uh, in a world where I just think that so many things have gone wrong uh, in, in this country and in the world. Uh, it, it's a darn shame that... Uh, the formula for success uh, has been uh, shredded into so many pieces that you better pick up some common denominator that you can exist with uh, some some light that says there's hope. Uh, and, and I just think that uh, I've been able to do that. But those are three things that I'm I'm truly proud of. Those mm -hmm. uh, the fact that you know when we talk about teaching and, and, and the kind of camaraderie that you must have, the kind of associations uh, that lead to success. You can't do it by yourself. And I hear so many times coaches uh, who, who often people bragging about that's a father and a great teacher and all this, and yet we, we find people like P.D. Carrill, Big House Gaines, and all these people who were down to earth. In fact, I was just repeating at uh, uh, Speedy Morris, who's an icon in this city. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
I was at his game uh, this past week and found that uh, Speedy is still sitting. I mean, uh, Petey was sitting behind the bench, and he's hitting me when the game's going on. Every time something comes up, especially turnovers, can't turn the ball over. That's that's me. That's the life well, we that want I to talk been. about. That's, that's what's going to be the next thing I was going to do. They didn't about. even have it on a stat sheet when I invented that. John, talk to us about that because one of the, you, the, the many uh, outstanding achievements you realized during your coaching career was that your teams were known for not turning the ball, the basketball over. How were you able to instill in the minds of your players the value of the possession of the ball? You know, when we go back to uh, Cheney State, I can remember – Vivian and I used to meet before we go. We only had a small gym. No Vivian beginning. Stringer was this coach. Was a women's coach. At That's Tennessee. right. Right. Okay. And uh, she and I would meet before we go to the floor. We had to practice and devise ways and means that we could utilize that small facility at the at the optimum at a, at, a, at a point in time when women were fighting against men before Prop Forty Eight uh, before mm-hmm. Title Nine came mm-hmm. into being mm-hmm. and. We would sit down and talk, and we would come up with how we're going to have the boys and girls mixed together and practice together, and how we could establish rules which govern your play, which govern your, your practice sessions. And I would always ask this question, how can we measure success? How can you measure winning? How can you measure uh, the fact that you're going to be successful? There is no objective way. There is none. Most of it is all subjective. Get great players and throw them out there. I was a gym teacher and I knew this. You could do this. You could experiment with this if you want to. Take a gym of 100 people. Say at junior high school many, many years ago where I taught. We would have, before we blow the whistle to start a formal session of teaching, we would find that as you looked around the gym at all the baskets, Every day, the same guys would be at the same basket. You know this yourself, George. We can go to any schoolyard, and you try this, and you will find that if there's three or four different courts, the better players will congregate on that same court every day. Every day. And the the players that are not so talented, they're not there on that. They went to other courts. In a gym class, the same thing. They seemed to gravitate to that court, and nobody interfered with them. Things have changed now. But during those days, if you thought about it, you'd say, well, how can we measure success from any individual, irrespective of him being a great player or a talented player or whatever? And we sat down, Vivian and I, day by day, and we put it together. It's called my turnover chart. I don't have it with me. I may have given one to this guy here in the center, but it measures things that you would think is not so, well, shooting, scoring baskets. It doesn't measure that. It measures pivot efficiency, not whether you, if you, if you got a good shot and you missed it, you could mark it up to a point of plus five. You could give that guy plus five because he did all the proper thing. 
he dropped the hamstring. He was on this side of the pivot. He dropped this foot so he could look middle and see the entire court. If he, if he dropped this foot, he's always looking away and finds himself having to pivot back. But you should always, at all times, see the court. It's not one of those Elijah Wan shots where he turned and shoot the basket this way to his right side. You know what I'm saying? He couldn't see. That's eye basketball, we would call it. Then we could also measure taking a charge, staying on your feet, always saying you can do more if you stay on the floor. Learning that from Larry Bird, who found himself on the floor more times. Very seldom was he injured in any game because he wasn't always jumping. Positioning on rebound. You wrote up a nice chart, which I have right now in my booklet. I stole it from you. On rebounding, the outlet pass, making sure that you get a point guard to crack back to the ball and not having guys outlet the ball like that. Because everybody don't have a Wes Hunsell who could catch that and shoot that pass out there. Everybody don't have that. So we had to devise a turnover chart. And we would use things that's negative, like missing layups was a negative. And we would have minutes played so you could see how many turnovers a guy came up with. And I was the ultimate judge. Because when we would read the chart out at the end, if the, if the manager did it, the kids would chase, the other players would chase him around and beat him up. Because they said he was, he was chasing them. So I'm the ultimate. And you better not touch uh, the manager. Because I'm saying that's a turnover. In practice, we started in practice. So they developed that kind of concept. And then we looked at John Wooden when he talked about angles, proper angles. If you're going to make passes 180 degrees over here, this way, you got problems. You must always put yourself in a position where there's triangles on the court at all times. And there's a push and pull effect. If I'm dribbling towards you, I'm pushing you. If I'm dribbling away from you, I'm pulling you. So that we almost stayed equidistant. If you run a three-guard offense, which John McClendon devised a little booklet. I swear to God, I wish I could find that little booklet of a three-guard set. That's how he started, with proper spacing. When I hired Dean Demopoulos, I had him in the stands because the people got pissed off at him sitting on the bench. So he would be in the stands hollering, spacing, spacing, and his ass is out there now with the L.A. Clippers, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But we did that. Also, we felt that you get your, and this is, I, I don't want to continue to carry on without you seeing that chart. We constantly made it very clear that you get your offensive and defensive balance. When I got the ball, I want to make sure that we have defensive balance, regardless who's shooting. I don't want to send five guys to the basket and one guy leaks out and they end up like that year when Denver was beaten by, beaten at daylight by the L.A. Lakers when they got fast breaks because here outside Calvin Nat, who couldn't shoot a lick, is shooting jump shots outside. Who was the rebounder that team? Fat Lever, the little guy. Mm -hmm. The best shooter was another guy by, uh, who was that, English or somebody? That mm -hmm. was, and then Alex they had, English. Huh? Alex English. He was a great player. And now you've got Issel out there shooting jump shots, and Magic and them is leaking out. Somebody would take it out and just throw it over them, and they had nine wolf dunks in that game. And I would use that with Vivian 
at time to tell now she's changed a lot now because she's getting talented players. But at that time, I always reduce it to the fact, how can you exist on a basketball court if you didn't work hard at angles and passing and receiving? I looked at Bobby Knight, who had some couple drills. One of the drills was, was wrong pass, bad passing drill. That meant you had to move your feet. You couldn't get settled in here. And if the pass was thrown there, you didn't move your feet to get it. So you always had to learn how to move your feet. John Wooden talked all day long up at Mars, Robert Mars College. When we started out, we had about 300 people, 300 coaches in there. And everybody had the little book waiting for the magic portion. And he had a little tablet in the back of his pocket. And he walked around and talked about being on the balls of your feet. Being on the balls of your feet. This is how he started off. Balance. Even his pyramid was considered a, a pyramid of balance that he listed. But on the basketball court, he taught it also. And he was here on day one uh, practice. We started here talking about Walton coming with a beard on and, and, and sent him out of practice. They had that big discussion. But he talked about being on the balls of your feet. Now, they dismissed us for lunch. How many people came back? About 35 or 40. The other coaches left. This was up at Robert Mars College. Mm -hmm. I remember that because Jim Maloney and I mm -hmm. went up there. My uncle, God rest his soul, he passed away. You worked with Jim, Yeah, I too. worked with Jim. Jim and I were lefties <laughs> assistant. Absolutely. And, uh, and the thing about it is, is that I learned so much. But you only have to go to a clinic to pick up just a few things to add to your philosophy. And that's when I started out with the greatest thing that you can learn to do in a basketball court is ownership of that basketball. Protect it. Become efficient and proficient at every trip down the floor. Get something out of it. When you made him to trips down the floor, and I looked at the shooting chart, and it says that this team got 80 shots or 60 shots, and... We had 80 possessions, and you only got six. What the hell happened to the other 20 times you possessed the ball? That was important to me. So we had to discover what happened. As we look at our tapes, as we look at things that happen in a basketball game, where you make empty trips, we based our philosophy based on that. And Vivian ended up in the Final Four the same year we won the national championship. Unbelievable. Because of one reason, we were following a, 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 a narrative which says no turnovers. We led the country every year I was at Temple, but three times with 10 of a low turnovers. Mm -hmm. You can average somewhere around seven. You got a chance. A blind man ain't got no business at the circus. Because <laughs> he ain't going to see a damn thing. But you can, a blind man has a chance. Even he come down and shoot the ball every time. He got a chance. You see. So I I based it all. My philosophy was based on no turnovers. And it still is. I look at a basketball game now, and I see teams throwing the ball away. I just cut them off. I talked to Doug Collins here with the 76ers. They got great, great offensive players. Great shooters. Great shooters. And they don't turn the ball. That's why they win it. Oh. <sighs>